0: God's house with you. Thank you, worship team, and all of you for worshiping together with us. Today um, is the last Sunday of the month. Believe it or not, we're almost in July. And uh, yeah, half the year's over. And uh, so the youth have a service downstairs. Pastor Stevens in the back. And if all of you that are sixth grade to twelfth grade would like to join him, you'll go downstairs for your own service. That'd be awesome. We don't want to kick you out, but you'd probably, uh, yeah, just that'd be good down there. So, Good morning, church. You look amazing. The house is uh, full and a few empty seats, but you guys are amazing. God loves you. We always tell you every week we're not a perfect church or perfect people. We're here because we know we need God's help. And He's provided that help to Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we tell you that just so that you understand something. We're not saying it's okay to live a sinful, broken life, it's not okay to be a dysfunctional church. We just recognize that we need help, and that's why we're here. And we were broken in sin. Christ is the answer to that. And so as we've come together into the house of God, we've come here to be healed and to be made new and to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you look around the church and you see people, even this guy that's standing in front of you, you think, he don't look right. It's okay, and you should have seen me before. All right? So this is the... You're you're getting the God worked on product right here, so man, you should be really grateful because I've been walking with him for a lot of years, and so you know where we've had to come from to be where we are even, and so you be patient with us as God develops us, and where you see that maybe we need to change, you just pray for us, and maybe God will change you. (laughs) God is amazing, isn't he? I love him. God is so good to us. He's followed, he's just relentlessly pursued us and he is drawing us in this incredible relationship with him of transformation and you guys I just want you to know you're you're an amazing congregation that I'm blessed to be your pastor uh Kim and I moved here I cannot believe that tomorrow 14 years ago we moved to to Tucson Arizona to pastor this church and as I look back over that I actually was looking at some pictures and I just want to bring this up because I did in the last service you guys have done like tremendous damage to me (laughs) <laughs> I look terrible, man. I was like, wow, man, what happened to me? It was you guys. I'm just telling you. All right, anyway, <laughs> a lot of, yeah, thanks. <laughs> it was shown when the pies were shoved in my face last Sunday, how much you love me. Anyway, you guys did a meet, and that was on Sunday night if you weren't here. We had a youth auction for the, I mean, a, not a youth auction. We could have done that. <laughs> We had, we had an auction of desserts to send kids to camp, and you guys are amazing. We raised twenty eight hundred dollars for you. Yes, part of that was auctioning off being able to shove a face and a pie in my face, two of them actually uh, that uh, Linda did and um, yeah, it sold for one hundred and fifty five dollars and now it was like a bidding war and it 's like this I could feel the love in the room it was just it was amazing i 'm just saying so. I'm still here, and next year we're going to start the bidding at $200, i am just letting you know. So. But anyway, God has called us to do something here, right? It's not only to say yes to Jesus, but that, that, that saying yes to Jesus begins to infiltrate every aspect of my being that I might become Christ-like in who I am. And so in that process, what God's asked me to do is to not only receive Christ as my Savior, but my God, my Deliverer, my Redeemer, my all and all, so that my life can be transformed and I can then radiate the love of Christ in this world around me to reach people that don't know Him. We are His ambassadors. He's called us to be His missionaries to this community. We live in a pagan land of lost people that need Jesus, and God has called us to be the missionaries to this place called Tucson, Arizona, and wherever you live. So we're not only called to do that, but to reach out to them, restoring them into fully mature followers of Christ. So if um, there's, a, there's a sound in here that these things are open, we'll get that taken care of. I apologize uh, for the light that was in here from that, and for the noise that's there. It's the just a messed up system so anyway don't worry about it so just so you know the distractions so if you weren't distracted I just made you distracted so (laughs) you're welcome Just wanted you to join in with my issues because I hear it humming to me, so I'm going to try and block that out. So last Sunday, when we asked the accountability questions, we've been doing this for five years. As we mentioned, the only uh, additions we've had are the two on the bottom, which we ask weekly. All these things we've added in to invite someone to church with you, and then have you fulfilled the Great Commission, and each one of us reaching someone with the gospel and teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ. So we've added those, and uh, obviously the goal for 2019 just got added in 2019. But last week I asked those questions combined and I didn't want you to answer until I asked them all. And so the response was very low. I'll just leave it at that. Um, And so it didn't trouble me in the sense of like, oh no, we're screwed up and everybody's a mess and uh, the church is failing. It didn't do anything like that to me. I want you to know that. What it is, is a reminder to us that God is up to something and he's calling us into this amazing truth that he's given to us. So church, as we consider that, I want to invite you into an understanding of who God is in my life, your life, and where he's leading us in this relationship with him. And so I reflect back, uh, because we're coming up on this anniversary date to be with you, and it's, it's just amazing what God has done and what he's doing as I pastored a church for six years in Michigan, then I pastored another one for twelve years, and we 've been here fourteen years. So when you add all that together, I started when I was ten if you 're wondering how old I was, just so you know um, so as we look at that whole picture of things, I want you to know that in in this process of time that God has just completely transformed me. I am not the pastor I was, even when I came to you it 's like uh, i 'm so grateful, and you should be too i 'm um, not and God is amazing so reflecting back on this, I want to share with you some truth that that was given to me by a man of God that I was privileged to pastor. His name was John Trump. John and Dolly Trump were members of the church in New Beginnings in in Wayne, Michigan that we pastored. When we first went to the church, their name was on the membership roll, but they were not present. The reason they were not present is John and Dolly had both retired from their jobs and they were serving in the Indian Mission School in South Dakota where they picked up everything they had, left, kept their house there in in Wayne, went out there, and for five years they served that community uh, full-time at their own expense and their own stuff, just doing whatever needed to be done. He did maintenance and just did everything that was needed. So I heard about these people and uh, their heart for God and stuff. And then they came back to us. God had finished that time and they came back to Wing. When they were there, I I learned uh, about them and got to know them. And they were very, uh, I say this very respectfully, very simple people. He was very frugal. Like um, some people would call him tight and stuff, but he was very frugal. And he took his stewardship of everything very seriously. So I'm telling you this for a reason. Here we were in the church, great, beautiful sanctuary. It was a very pretty church, and um, growing congregation, um, and no air conditioning. In Michigan, it's different than here. You know, you wouldn't survive without it here, but you can up there. It's just humid. It's miserable in the summer, and summer's only like three months, so you, you can make it through there. But anyway, we were like, you know, we need air conditioning in this church. It's crazy. Everywhere you go, there's air conditioning, but here. And John Trump was like, we don't need air conditioning. Just suck it up, man. Yeah, you're fine. Wave a fan, whatever. Uh, So we had this discussion, brought it to the congregation to vote. And there was one no vote. It was John Trump. And John Trump was like, you know, no. He's very clear about how he felt and his convictions and stuff and said it wasn't necessary. But, of course, the majority won. And we were putting air conditioning in. Part of the work we were going to do ourselves. So the very next day, which was on the Monday... I asked if anyone would come to help because we had to do some work in the outside attic to make space. And the first person to show up was John Trump. So I'm telling you that, church, because I want you to hear this man of God in his heart. When he showed up, he wasn't like there to complain, never said one word about his opinion, got right up in that hot attic with no air conditioning in the summertime and began to remove things and change stuff to make a place for the air conditioner he voted no for. When he was standing in that up there as a, he was, I think, 75 years old in that attic working like, he could put a lot of young people to shame. Seriously, he worked me to death. He's up there doing that stuff, and I was like, right there is, he, there is a man of God a man of integrity and a man of a servant's heart. And I was blessed by him and what he did. Now, there's more to this story that I share with you. He's with Jesus today, him and his wife both. But they knew God's word. They took it serious about knowing God's word. And so I began a trivia game with the church where I'd ask Bible questions every week and we named it Stump the Trumps (laughs) because it didn't matter what question you asked, they'd know the answer. And so it became a game with me and the church to try and find some kind of a question that they would not know. So, let's continue with the story. So, as time goes on and we're getting to know one another, I'm sharing my... Um, the theology has a lot of crazy, stupid words that we use. Like a, I don't know why education thinks they have to give big words to sound smart, but this thing's called eschatology, which is the, the end times, the return of Christ, and your Christological view. It's like... Seriously, How about if we just say, when everything ends and Jesus comes back? All right, that's pretty easy to understand. Okay, so that's what it is. So the, the church I grew up in, and most of you, we have this view of things, and we think it's going to follow this calendar of series of events. I'm not even going to give it to you because I don't care. <laughs> but I came to not believe in everything the church taught about the end times. As I read scripture, I was like, I don't know that I think this is right. I don't think I agree with that. I think we're hoping for this. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say this prayer. I think we're hoping there's a rapture before everything goes bad, right? I mean, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for that happens. Like, take me out, Lord. Let's go. You know, I'm, I'm but I'm not actually sure that it's going to happen the way we've taught it. Okay, that's all I'm saying. All right, and I'll leave it alone. I already probably said too much. Let's just go this way. So John and I had some agreement there And so we had conversations about these things and how we were taught and what the bible says and we would just general conversations And one day john said something to me that is stuck in my heart that I want to stick in your heart that I pray Just grabs a hold of you And this is what he said to me. It was like a a revolutionary moment He's like pastor dave It's not the things I don't understand about god's word that scares me it's the stuff I do understand that scares me. Amen. And I mean, you know, it was kind of a weird statement at first as I thought about that. And then I was like, wow, that is like super profound and very true. Because, see, the church is always about the mystical. And even in our relationship with God, we always want to know about what are you telling me now, God? What is this new truth? Help me to understand the next step. And we're always looking at the next out there, the, op- the next experience. And God's like, can you like do this right here? I mean, actually do it. Hello, I've given you truth. Can you live in that truth before I give you anything else? And we're so entrenched on wanting to know the next step that we haven't even completed this step. And so we have holes in our spiritual walk with God. And our brokenness comes to the surface periodically when we go through life. We have these challenges that we face and we're not equipped to face them. And the reason we're not equipped to face them is because we were so concentrating on what we could do next that we didn't do what we should do and what we know. So church, here's where we are. I want you to know today, we're right here. God has brought you to this place in this moment of your life saying are you doing what I'm asking you to do? Listen, I don't want a response to this. I really don't, because this one might depress me. All right, so don't say anything. Here's your accountability question. Are you being obedient to everything you know God is asking you to do? Everything. Everything. Not most. Most not most of the time, not usually, not on Sundays, <laughs> are you doing everything God has asked you to do right now? To, the, to all that you know that God has talked to you about. I'm not talking about people. Talk about God. Because what God has asked us to do is to live in this truth. And what John was profoundly saying to me is like, you know, there's things I know God's saying to me, and yet I find myself not fully doing what He's asking me to do right here, right now. And so I don't want to get caught up in what might be or could be keep me, God, grounded in what is. Come on. Keep me grounded in what is. Now then, what is? Where are we? Church, where are we? This is what Jesus said to His disciples, like this crazy, amazing stuff that He said to us. Because... When we begin to view God in Old Testament light, a lot of people don't like the God of the Old Testament. A lot of people don't. You can get in arguments with people over the Old Testament because God is a God of judgment, a God of war, a God of wrath. He's also a God of love, okay? And so through all of that, when we see God through the lens of the Old Testament, people are a little bit freaked out. The reason why people are freaked out is because the New Testament church is often painted God in way too much of a flowery, soft substance. And I want you to know that God is the same God from Old Testament to New. But what God has done is He is saying, like, this is who I am. This is how much I care. This is how much I love you. I'm giving you this amazing opportunity. Church, we have been given this incredible opportunity by God in this season of mercy and grace. Where God is saying, come into a relationship with me. But I want you to know that God of the Old Testament, where he established the law and he said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, that is God. That's who he is that is his law the reason jesus died is because god said life for life sin takes life it is death it takes life it required a life to meet that requirement of god therefore god says a life for a life church jesus christ has given his life for us god will and does demand a life back for that price that's mine in your life think about it now God says I demand this it's not just a tooth it's not just an eye it is a life here's Jesus teaching New Testament affirming that truth of who God is right here you ready then Jesus said to his disciples if any of you wants to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your cross and follow me if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Whoa, this is serious stuff here. Please hear me, church. All people will be judged that's me and you when we're looking at the spirit-led life of the believer remember we've been doing this for months now until god changes that direction and what we're doing we're going to continue to go on this journey with him because when we look at what jesus said about what the holy spirit would do when he comes in john 16 remember we were looking at it's john 14 15 and 16 chapters of the gospel Luke 11 speaks of what he would do, and this is what we're referencing. Jesus said, Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of sin, right? Calling us to Christ and of uh, um, salvation. The second conviction was of God's righteousness, that the righteous life is available to the believers. That means you're going to live a life for God. And then there's a coming judgment where all will give an answer to God. Okay? So that's the trifold work of the Holy Spirit. There is coming a judgment. And I think some of us as Christians do not realize that we're going to still be judged. Okay, we're going to be judged. I want you to know that. We're not talking about the great white throne judgment where God is going to separate the goats and the sheep, so to speak, the lost and the saved. That's not what we're even talking about. But the believer will also be judged. It is biblical and it is taught by God and it is calling us out to understand we're going to give an account for our life and what we do matters. Okay, beyond church. Come on. We're not saved by works. We know that. God's Word tells us very clearly We're not saved by works It's a gift of God We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ No doubt about that We are not teaching a works gospel We are saying As God's Word says That when you are redeemed When you are bought by God He owns you And now your life is lived For His purpose and glory No longer is it about you That's the Word of God And so God says to all believers, you will give an account to me for your life and how you live. Don't forget it. Jesus says, look, this is what it's all about, man. It's all about all in. (laughs) All right. First Corinthians three, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. We've been singing about this all, all morning in our worship songs. Check out what God's word says. Now others are building on it. But whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful. So for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already have, which is Jesus Christ. Church, our whole life and everything about it, all the teaching, everything we do needs to build upon one foundation, which is Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. We are building on the foundation of Christ and nothing else here. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames is that crazy or what that's talking to me and you so i don't know about you but i don't want to just dive into heaven through a wall of flames and come up with singed hair and the smell of smoke on me god is calling us to something it is very clear here that god is challenging us through his word, saying look What are you doing with your life? And what are you building upon? Are you building upon the foundations that moral, immoral, sinful society has given to you? Or are you building your life upon the rock solid foundation of Jesus Christ? He is challenging us saying that your life must be a life of full obedience to the Father. And if it's not, it's not going to work. Jesus taught us about this. Matthew 25, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Just think about that. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the bags of silver, the the, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I might lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. (laughs) Then he ordered... Take the money from this servant. Give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A profound, amazing teaching of Jesus Christ. This is not simply a message about financial stewardship and responsibility, church. It is, and it does speak to us very clearly about financial stewardship and accountability with God and what we do with what we have. But it's something far beyond just finances. Jesus is teaching us something. We must do something with what we receive from God. Every week we ask you this accountability question, church. Are you giving as God has asked you to give? I ask you that question, then I give you an illustration or an answer to that in your time, your talents, and your resources. That doesn't mean this is like, um, pick the one you like. God has asked us to give to him of our time, our talents, and our resources. He's saying, are you all in? So God's addressing every aspect of our life. And as we look in the scriptures and we see this, it's amazing because God is saying to us right here, I'm giving you what you can handle for me. That's what he just taught right there. He said, the one I gave him, five. Why did he give him five? Because he knew he could handle it. The one he gave, two, not five, because he knew he couldn't handle five. So he gave him two. And the one he gave, one, hoping that he might be able to handle just that one thing he got. He knew he couldn't trust him with more than one. He knew he couldn't trust the one with two with more than two. He knew he could trust the one with five. And then he gave him more. Hold on a minute. Let's just pause right there for just a second. God, seeing us where we are says, I'm giving you what I can trust you with. I'm giving you what I can trust you with. If you prove yourself to me in what I've given, I'm going to do more. So let's, let's just apply that to finances for just a second. Okay? Because we live in a culture that thinks money is the answer. And most of us have had the thought in our mind that if I could only... I could there's that blank and that blank so early in our marriage my wife and I when we were married and stuff and I was working secular work I was pastoring a church and I was bivocational they call it where I had to work I wasn't supported by the church and so I was working a job as well as pastoring and as we were walking down that journey I was like you know if I could only make this much more then it would be a lot easier on our family and I could handle this and everything and so I I made that much more and all of a sudden I was like man if we could just make this much more we'd be okay and our family would be okay and everything would be alright and I was working you know and I'd get advancements and work and things like this right so I'm making more money and pretty soon I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life by a long shot and I would come down in a month and I'd be like I'm not really sure what just happened <laughs> but it feels like I have no more money than I used to and nothing's really changed in my life and as God was speaking to me we were faithful in paying our tithe first before all of our bills pay my bills before we ever bought food I'm just telling you our commitment to God and what he says we never went without never missed payments and things and he always took care of us but as I began to assess things and look at my stewardship and things I was like you know I'm starting to buy into the culture's lie that says if you just had more, you'd have better. And if you had more, things would be easier. And I stepped back from all of that, praying and talking to my wife, and we made a step of faith, and we began to step away from some of that and began to commit more into the ministry, personally, investment, and away from that secular work so that I could give myself completely to the work of the kingdom of God. And as we digressed financially... And we did digress financially, trust me, like a lot, as we stepped out in faith. When we got to the end of that first year where we stepped away completely from all that secular work and the finances, in that year we did more with our family than we'd ever done before. God provided for us in miraculous ways. Like that, it was just incredibly obvious it was all God because there was nothing we could do about it, it was just Him. And as we stood back and looked at that, I'm like, you know, we, we are so tempted in our culture to believe the lies of culture that says you matter when you have, you matter when you are, this, that, and the other thing, and when you have stuff. So I hear a lot of Christians, and I'm not, I, I want you to hear my heart of what God's saying to us, not just my opinion of stuff. And, and people don't confess or say anything right here, okay? Just shh, all right. People, like, they're playing the lottery, hoping for the big one and they're like, man, you know, if I win the lottery, you know, I'd pay the church's debt off, I'd, uh, you know, we owe like 600 and some thousand in case you were wondering what the number was <laughs> when you bought um, you know, I would fix, the, I would supply the missions with what they need over there and I'd do this for the homeless in our community and I and I'm just going to stop right here and say, no, you wouldn't no, you wouldn't <laughs> if you would do all that God would have already given it to you by his power, not through the lottery. Come on. You you honestly think God's like, come on, go down to the casino here and put 25 on red. I want you to give me something this Sunday. I mean, seriously. Come on, man. How stupid are we? (laughs) It's like, that doesn't even make sense. But yeah, listen, we do it. And God's like, hello, I'm giving you everything you have. And what I'm asking you to do is prove yourself to me. I'm God. Don't you think I got this? We got to stop thinking that this stuff is, is the answer. Okay, can I, I just got to say one more thing because it's driving me crazy. I, I literally have had people say, God helped them win in a gambling situation or something and I'm like oh my goodness wait a minute let's just stop for a second I I want everybody in this room to hear Dave's opinion on I said that was the devil not God and the devil was trying to lead you into an addiction that will rob your life God doesn't need that crap to do that for you come on God's not about that stuff he's like come on hey let's go let's do this let's have a life together All right, that's enough of that. Let's get to the truth of God's word right here, right? So when Jesus is saying, I want a life for a life, I demand stewardship of everything that you are and everything that you do, and you're going to give an account to me. God's saying this, not Dave. I don't even know what anybody gives here. I don't care. I care what my wife and I give, and we're accountable to God for that. All right, so I don't know what anybody gives here. I just want everybody to know that. I have no idea. We get financial reports at the end of the month at the board meetings. I see the same numbers in the bulletin that you do. And I'm just saying, if you look at that number to determine what you give, you're wrong. Just telling you flat out. You're giving to God for what he's asking for. We're not banking up some retirement thing. Man, we're doing God's work for the ministry, and, and this is how God does it. So, yeah, I'm just I'm trying to be very transparent and honest with you. I don't talk about money very often, but I look at what Jesus is saying to us, and I, I, I mean this kindly again. I don't care if you're uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, maybe you ought to spend some time praying about this because you ought to be okay with it. So we're looking at what God says to us, right? So let's assess our lives right now. If we're going to give an account right now, not someday down the road to God, but let's just say today's judgment day. What are you given to God in your time? What in your time shows you're a fully devoted follower of Christ? What about in your talents? That's your natural abilities. I'm not talking about spiritual giftedness. Talk about the talents God gives you. You've, you've got jobs and works that you do because you've been given talents. Have you developed those in education and work? Absolutely. But those were talents God gave you. How are you using that for his kingdom? I'm asking you because God's asking. You're gonna give an account. And then the last thing is your resources. Everything about what you, you have. You're leaving this place with nothing. Just so you know. You're gonna die and it's all left. And I'm just wondering, like, if we did this assessment of ourselves, like, as if we're giving account to God, as if we're giving account to God, and I have assessed myself in my time, my talents, and my resources, I'm saying, does it really say I'm all in? Does that show that I'm building on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone? Or does it mean that I just show up on Sundays and sing a few songs and wave my hands and say the words? Because when I look in the Word of God, He's challenging us to something. And I want everybody to know, you can't buy your way into heaven, you can't work your way into heaven. I know that. All right? We're not even trying to say that. What God's Word is challenging us with is that when the Spirit of God has a hold of you, the Spirit of God is working through you, and you're doing stuff for the kingdom of God because that's what matters. Okay? So here's what James says. I want you to know we're saved to serve We're not saved to be served. Okay, but let's see what James says. Very practical, easy to understand book of the Bible. If you're confused reading the Bible, just go to James. You won't be confused. You'll be convicted. All right, so let's see what he says to us right here in James 2. Ready? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Pretty simple. Anybody not understand that? (laughs) Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. (laughs) That's pretty in your face. What he's saying is if you're not living that truth more than just talking about it, then you really don't have it. (laughs) Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. So here's the greatest argument in the church. I hear it from people all the time. Well, it's not really my gift. It's not my calling. There's those people over there that do that stuff and that's, that's for them to do. I do this. This is what he's addressing right here. That argument where it says it's not my responsibility. I have my own things to do. They have their things to do. He's saying, some may argue this way. Some have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? If there's not a life to to match what is said, there is no life in the first place and there is no faith and there is no relationship. The demons, all of them believe that there is God in heaven, that Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day and that he's coming again. They believe the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. They believe that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. They believe that He can raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. They believe all that. They know it. But they have no faith. And they are now damned forever because there is no relationship. And James is saying, Come on, church. Come on. You want to talk about stuff? What are you doing? What are you doing? The truth we know. Are we living the truth we know? James is not trying to say that all of your faith is about giving food and clothing to the needy. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. Is that a part of compassion ministry? Absolutely. Of course it is. But that's not like the key to your salvation or saying you're a believer because I gave someone food or clothes today. He's using a simple illustration to to show us that our actions have to measure up with our words. So don't get all literal and think I got to go buy a hamburger for somebody today and give them a shirt and know I'm good to go. He's talking about our actual living every day matching what we profess is our faith. God asks us to do stuff. God asks us to do stuff. The only answer you have is yes. All right, so let's just pause for a minute. A little while ago in the beginning of the service, I said, are you doing everything God has asked you to do? The only answer we have to respond to that is yes. So let me help us all with this conversation we have with God. If you use the word if, but, when, maybe. Any of those words in this conversation with God You're wrong, and the actual answer you're saying is no. There's only one answer, it's yes. He's God. So check this out. Listen to this amazing word through the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was this crazy man of God. I mean, people thought he was literally crazy. He did some crazy stuff. Claymation wars, literally, if you read his book, he did it. Laid on his back, uh, I'm sorry, on his side in the, in the city streets for months on end. Cooked his food over cow poop. Because God told him to. He did some crazy stuff. And the people were like, that dude is whack, man. It's that's, that's like, what is going on with him? And he, listen to this word, God spoke through him. God spoke this to this man of God. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say. They don't act on it. But when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, then they will know a prophet has been among them. That's crazy stuff right there. Now, don't misinterpret it and don't think this guy's in any way being arrogant saying you're here to listen to me that's not anything what i'm saying i'm saying let's look at the word of god and what the message from god to the man of god was he was saying to him ezekiel you're going to have big crowds and everybody's talking about you and you're very entertaining to them and therefore they're saying hey let's go listen to him what is he saying this week let's go talk about it then we have something to talk about all week long you know it's like that's crazy isn't it but they're not doing anything He's speaking God's word. He was warning them of coming judgment. He was telling them the wrath of God was about to fall on them. And they were all hearing it, but they weren't changing anything in their life at all. They were living for themselves. They were living for the paycheck. God said so. And they did not care what God had to say. They just saw it as entertainment. And he's like, hey, Ezekiel, I just want you to know there's coming a day they're all gonna be like, whoa, that was God. That was God's man speaking to us. That was God's word. He said, they're gonna all know when I'm calling them to account and the words are happening that you said would happen, they're gonna be like, there was a prophet among us. Church, May I say to you, there is coming a day. Everyone in this room is going to stand before the Creator of the universe, and we're going to give account. And it's not going to be a day when we say, but, if, when, none of it. We're going to give account, and God's going to hold us to His truth. Hey, good job, you, you gave a tooth. You gave an, no, church, a life for a life. When Jesus gave his life for us, it tells us in the word of God that all things went dark as my sin and your sin was poured upon the holy God who knew no sin but became sin for us. In this moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of sin was poured out upon him. My sin, your sin, and God had to retract himself away so that his own word could be held the truth. A life for a life. Sin brings death. Only a life can pay that price. Man. So here we are, church. We're going to stand before him. And Jesus on his right hand. The word of God says this. He will be on the right hand of the father. And it will either be. That life paying for me. As I have surrendered to it. Or I will give an account for myself. The steward that dug the hole and said. I'm good where I am. Or I'll give an account for what God's given me. But we're going to give an account. It's God's word man. The Christian life is not simply about showing up for services. It's not about singing songs or hearing messages. It's not. That's all part of it. should be part of it. A regular part of it. But it's out there doing what God's asked us to do. And the word of God, he's, he's very serious when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Okay, now in Matthew 5, Jesus said this. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you for your goodness. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father is actually what he said. So here's Jesus talking to us and saying like, look, look, you and the way you live should be on display in such a way that it radiates the love of Christ to everyone that sees you and that when people see you they think there is a God (laughs) That's, that's what he's saying right there is a God there's no doubt I know that guy I know how he lived he is a changed man And it's God. And he is letting people know that Jesus Christ changed them. It's all displayed. So here's how I was, I was just seeing this visual as I was coming to church today. And and, in this word, in God's word, you're a light of the world. And I thought, man, lights dictate our life. Do you know that? You can't go around town without obeying and seeing lights and they're red, yellow, and green there's the light that's red that says stop just in case some of you are wondering about that you're supposed to stop the yellow one says you're about to stop and the green one says just go ahead so then I'm thinking about God speaking to us and Jesus saying it's up there where everybody can see it and I think how many Christian lives how many churches are actually a red light just like don't go there stop man Um, It's a yellow light. We want you here. Just don't sit in my seat. (laughs) We want you here, but just don't act like that. We want you to be here, but we want you to be here like this. Okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm serious. I'm thinking about this light that we project, and we're sending out this crazy mixed message to the world where they're all like, you know, what does it mean to follow Christ? There's a red light, there's a yellow light, there's a green light, but that green light, I'm not sure what's going on there even. I don't know. They're confused. Now hear me. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he didn't say take up my cross. We're not supposed to take up Jesus' cross. We take up our cross, which is this, the call of God on my life. I'm obedient with my time talents and resources i'm all in with him see he didn't demand of the guy with two bags of silver to produce 10 he didn't he expected him to produce something and he happened to produce two more the guy with the five he produced five more he didn't reprimand the two because this guy did better than him you hear me church take up your cross and follow me We're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all called to follow the same Savior. And so as we follow the same Savior and we take up our cross and follow Him, we're not off doing our own thing. We're all following Him, and that means there's unity in the church because we're all following the same Savior. The reason the church is sending out these red and yellow Lights is because we found it to be all about us and you got to do it this way and it's the only way. Listen, Jesus is the only way, so don't misinterpret that. But we all are supposed to be following Him in that call that He's placed upon our life in that direction towards Christ and when we're all heading that way, there's unity in the body and that is the witness to the world that there is a Savior and it's Jesus Christ and God's in control. And we're in disarray. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're like picking what we want to believe, what we want to agree with, what we're comfortable with, and we're not all in and surrendered. We're not building on the one foundation of Jesus Christ. We're building on our stuff. So we're going to be seen by who we are, by how we live. And how we live ought to show Jesus to everyone. So it's the call of every believer to be seen doing God's work, right? That's what it's all about. So would you stop thinking it's all about you? It's all about Him. Okay, I need to... We'll just get done early today. That would be a good idea. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? So... We're saying, yes, I punched my ticket to heaven. That's what we're saying, right? I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just, let's just use it as a simple illustration. If you said yes to Jesus, he means, okay, so what that means is I'm saved. I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm born again. The word of God teaches us that those who are saved then are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that those that are filled by the Holy Spirit are led by the Spirit. We're followers of Christ. The Bible teaches us then that those who are saved, spirit-filled, spirit-led followers of Christ are therefore servant-hearted people because Jesus modeled that for us and said, this is what this looks like. Now we're building on that foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're building our lives this way. So today, I'm just going to ask you again in that little complex circle of you, Are you being obedient to everything God has asked of you? If you can't say yes to that without any other words, just a simple yes, you need to go to the altar, and you need to repent for your disobedience, and you need to begin to build on the yes of God to God so that God can work through you the fullness of what he has. See, we're wondering why we still are where we are, we're where we are because we haven't done what he's asked us to do. And we're not getting past this point until we're actually doing what he's asked right here. He gave it to us. It's right there in the scriptures. He says, when you do this, more will be given. I trust you. Let's go. We don't, come on. We do it with our kids. You're not going to give a five-year-old the keys to the car. Come on. <laughs> Same thing with God. He's like, I'm, you need to grow up. You need to mature. Let's go. Well, I want you to be able to accomplish all I have for you to accomplish. But it requires your obedience to me in every area. So if you're struggling financially, I just want you to know, Are you is God a priority in your finances? If you're struggling and where do I fit in? I'm asking, are you using your talents for where God has you and what God wants to do through you? If you want to assess what's going on i'm not telling you match minute for minute with god what i'm saying is is your time god's is it his you have to do a job you got to sleep you got to do stuff but is your time god's it's up to you church what we do with this will be a person will you be a person who speaks the truth or one who lives the truth there is only one answer to that let's stand together i'm just going to stop the altar is open No ifs or buts or whens or whatever. It's just yes. Yes, Lord. It's the only answer. It's the only answer. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Thank you, Lord. Every person that's here at the altar, we're here to say yes to you, Lord, and the things we know. We trust you to reveal what we need to down tomorrow and the next day. But today, right now, it's a yes for what I know. Yes, Lord. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so amazing, God. Thank you. giving you all just a few moments here as we pray and listen to the Holy Spirit so here's a real simple thing for us that are here you know sorry Lord my answer now is yes (laughs) that's all we got to do really all of you that are up here praying all of you that are just listening it's that simple yes Lord sorry but from now on it's yes I'm all in all in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. God is so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Have an amazing day with him. He loves you.